0: Hi, welcome to Hotels 101, a podcast that dives into the lives of those who live and breathe the leisure, travel, hospitality industry every day. I'm Rob Hayes, you're uh, the president and CEO of Ashford Hospitality Trust, a hotel company that owns and operates hotels all across the United States of America. And today is a very exciting day. So I don't know exactly what day this is going to air but what I can tell you is this is the first day that the Texas Rangers are World Series champions, and I've been waiting for that day since I was eight years old, and uh, so I'm wearing this jersey, and I'm very excited. I'm also very excited because we have an outstanding guest, uh, a friend of mine who uh, just recently started a company that we're going to talk about, Abteen Vaziri. Abteen, welcome to Hotels 101. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having me, and um, I, I, I missed having my uh, Texas Rangers
1: jersey on, but uh, what an amazing series, and what an amazing game, so Exciting day to be here
0: on the, on the show the day it is.
1: after the Texas Rangers have their first uh, World Series championship. It is.
0: I woke up today in a little dream world where I didn't it didn't feel real, but uh, it feels good. So I just said, you know, I'm going to wear the jersey all day long. I don't really care what anybody says. Right after the championship last night, I was at a restaurant and a gentleman reminded me that
1: there are five teams where they have cities that have all four sports that don't have all the championships. And Dallas used to be one of them. Now they do have all That's four. That's right. And I think there's four other cities, Miami, I want to say Cleveland. There's two other ones I can't remember.
0: So, Well, anyway, so we're, we're <laughs> very excited. So, again, this will date the podcast a little bit, but I don't really care because – Go Rangers, Go so. Rangers. Uh, but and you're from the Dallas area, so I'm guess I mean you probably have had at least some cheering interest in the in the Rangers for a long time. I hopefully. did.
1: I, I went, unfortunately went to the last World Series in 2011 where we couldn't pull it mm, off. And we don't talk about I've been, that. I've been living in New York the last eight years, and I just moved back. So or you know during the pandemic, but officially just moved back. So it's been exciting to to come back and have some great teams. You know the Cowboys are doing well. The, the Mavs are doing well and the Rangers is one.
0: That's great. I know it's very exciting here in Dallas. So, but the reason you came back, one of the reasons you've come back is because you are now the, I guess the founder the CEO of a new company called the Uptown Companies. Correct. So Correct. tell me about, tell me about that. Tell me what you're doing there. Sure. So I've, um, Rob, I spent the last 12 years,
1: um, you know, focusing on, uh, doing fundraising, um, for, for real estate projects. And, and a lot of those real estate projects have been hospitality industry, uh, hotels and, um, You know, through the EB-5 program, I've also, you know, to my my previous position, I managed a debt portfolio for a um, private equity hedge fund in New York that had a group of five funds. I managed a real estate practice as well as one of the funds that was strictly an immigration fund that was focused on uh, providing mezzanine financing Um, out of the, I think, six deals that we did, five of them were in the hospitality industry. And, you know, obviously, you know, we work together on, on the Ashford side, me being on the board of Braemar, but it's, it's, it's really interesting on, on, you know, you guys are acquiring hotels, you guys are looking at hotels from an operational perspective. I get to see a lot of the deals up front and, you know, I get to see kind of visibility three, four years before those hotels even get built. So it's, it's really interesting to kind of see the different life cycles of hotels from both the development side and then from the operational side. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot of challenges and a lot of uh, you know, uh, tightness in the lending condition, and you know, as you know, hotel is very, you know, hotel development is very cyclical, and we're definitely in a down cycle currently.
0: Now, so tell me, tell me about that. What, what is different? Why, why is that the case? What's going on right now that makes it so difficult to develop hotels? I mean, the, the lending conditions
1: in the hotel business overall have been very tough I'd say, since 2017. Um, you know, there was definitely a lot of hotel development that happened in the you know 2013 to 2017 timeline. And, you know go into you know the Alice Hotel conference and various hotel conferences. it's always funny because a lot of uh, you know seasoned experienced hotel operators and owners and developers and REITs really consider the EB5 projects not so sophisticated type of projects because you know a lot of times the market you know conditions drive development, the market conditions you know drive financing and you know a lot of hotels that probably shouldn't have been built, were built because of this, you know, this renaissance in EB5 financing between 2013 and 2017. And I know in the 2017-18 timeframe, a lot of people were licking their chops because they thought a lot of these hotels would, would get, you know, default or they would they would come back in the market, and you know, more sophisticated operators such as Ashford would, would own them. Uh, but but you know, the the the, the things that make um, you know have made hotel financing very tough. One is overdevelopment for sure, but you know, banks a lot of banks really pulled back in terms of uh, providing the senior construction financing on hotels where i would say you know in the in the early 2000 you know 10s elevens, 13s you know there's there's a lot of different you know money center banks a lot of you know the jp morgan's of the world the, you know world, wells fargo's of the world maybe had been active especially for relationship lenders or more sophisticated borrowers a lot of those banks just stopped lending and um so to, let's you know fast forward 2017 2018 uh maybe there's only four you know smaller banks, the majority of, uh, you know, the real estate world probably hasn't even heard of that were active still doing hotel lending. And then, you know, there's a lot of funds that were doing hotel lending. And then fast forward to, you know, the pandemic where hotel market was very challenging. A lot of hotels, their occupancy rates were from, you know, average 65% all the way to 90% down to zero. And
0: I remember well, in in the last (laughs) in the last
1: 100 years, there's never ever been a hotel market where occupancies were zero, but there was a few months where occupancies were zero. (laughs) We were counting teens. And so for that, you know, there's, you know, when, when, when replacement cost is going to be higher than just acquiring a hotel out of bankruptcy or acquiring a hotel on market, it just doesn't make sense to, to, to do development and obviously a lot of banks pulled back. And then a lot of funds that were also, you know, giving, you know, 75, 70% loan to cost, you know, whole loans hotels that, that were still active, they pulled back. And today, in today's lending environment, even an asset class that's been a darling the last four or five years and generally does better in a down market, like multifamily, a lot of banks have pulled back. Today, where you know, they were lending at 75% of cost, you know, on a, on a senior side, maybe they're lending at 50% today. And then on the hotel side, just, financing just doesn't
0: exist. So, so tell me, there's probably people out there that understand uh, you know, getting a mortgage on a property, right? So if we go out in Ashford, we go buy an asset, we usually put some sort of property mortgage like you do on your house. And sometimes those are on balance sheets at banks, sometimes it's securitized through CMBS. And then obviously if you're going out and getting a development loan, you're going to a bank, they're giving you money to, to build the thing, you're putting in equity. So explain to, us, explain to me and maybe our listeners in simple terms, you know, how does an EB-5 fit into mostly a development project?
1: Sure. How does it work? Yeah, I mean, uh, j- just to, to kind of go in complete layman's terms, you know, for example, when you're buying a house, you know, the bank will, you know, you, you have to provide a 10% down payment or 20% down payment, and then you go to a bank and the bank provides 80% down, you know, the, the rest of the financing. So, you you know, you get the 100% financing and you purchase a home in the in the development, you know, and, and it's different in different countries. In the United States, the, there's a very well-established uh, financing you know, market where typically, you know, a a borrower, let's say for simple, you know, simple math, a borrower would have to have 30% equity. That's a down payment that in a residential, you know, house typically is equivalent of, and that equity is a 30% and then typically a bank, you know, would provide 70% financing. Um, You know, when you get to more sophisticated, larger scale projects, you know, typically a developer wants to put up the least amount of down payment or the least amount of equity. And, uh and then you know looking at the different parts of the capital stack you know there's different tranches so you have the equity tranche it's the riskiest and it's also the highest return then you know you have the mezzanine tranche and it could be you know more than one let's say subordinate mez. and then you have the senior and the senior has the least amount of risk because for example in today's market they're going up to 50 percent of cost which means they're providing 50 percent of the total cost of the project they're senior in terms of when you know in case of bankruptcy that means they get paid first they're there, uh, you know, any all the other sources of capital are subordinated, but they also have, you know, the least return and the least risk. So, you know, in, in you know, let's say in 2017, we're in the hotel market, let's say, you know, senior loans were you know LIBOR plus four and a half or LIBOR plus five, you know, the mezzanine financing was somewhere in around 11, 12 percent, and then equity returns were somewhere in the 15 to 20 percent. So the, the higher you are in the capital stack, the higher risk you take, the higher reward you get, and that's going to help. Real estate projects get financed. Where EB5 has historically been used, although it's been used as, as a senior loan, in certain cases, many times, majority of times, it's been used to replace that mezzanine part of the capital stack, and it's it's attractive uh, because you know where typical market rates, you know, as I mentioned, 10 to 14 percent today, maybe 15 to 18, 20 percent, uh, EB5 capital, you know, is usually somewhere around 5 to 7 percent. So it's a it's a discounted um, mezzanine loan, which made it very attractive, and then um, you know a lot of hotels got done, which I'll explain r- later why that reason is and why investors are like hotels and why there's a lot of interest that generate was generated for uh, for investing hotels. Gotcha.
0: Okay, let's rewind a little bit. So tell me how you kind of got in on the on the the lending financing side. So tell me a little bit about your your story. Where did you where, where, where did little Abteen grow up and, and yeah. how did you get in the business?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I, so I've, I've been all over the place. I was, uh, you know, I was my, my dad was actually uh, an Air Force officer in the Iranian Air Force back in the early 70s, where the United States and Iran were close allies. And he did all his training in the United States in San Antonio and in Biloxi, Mississippi in 70. He was here in 74, 76, and then went back to, you know, they got pregnant with me in Biloxi. They, get, they went back to Iran. The revolution happened. My father got court martialed by the new Islamic mm. regime and given a death sentence. And so I was born right in the middle of all that. In fact, I was born during martial law where my dad was taking my mom to the hospital in the middle of martial law where the soldiers out. It's like you can't be out. It's like I gotta go to the hospital, my kids being born. So that's 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 where I was born. I, I um you know, then we um you know, my, my dad ended up getting a pardon in exchange for having to go back to work uh, to serve in the Iranian air force. Uh, what happened was, you know, Iraq started attacking Iran and Iranian military was not ready because a hundred, hundred thousand officers were killed or left. And so they needed troops. And my dad was in logistics. They're moving troops and they're like, come back. Here's your pardon. Sign this, go serve. So he went and served in 89. Uh, we, uh, we got fake passports or my dad got fake passports because he wasn't allowed to have a passport as an air force officer. And then me and my mom and sisters went to France. My dad went to Austria. We uh, applied for a, a residency in Germany and then applied for a green card in the United States in 1991, moved to the US in 91. Uh, lived in LA for four years and then moved to Plano, Texas in 95. Uh, went to high school here, did uh, undergrad here, played college at University of Texas at Dallas, went to SMU Business School, and then uh, went to law school in New York and finished uh, in 2018 gotcha And so lot then, school. <laughs> yeah you've been so you've been around
0: and it's quite a story i mean it's it's a uh, it's an amazing story about your family and, and your background so then how did you find your way from college and law school into the financing world
1: yeah you know my my under my undergrad uh degree was in computer science i was actually a, a unix system admin i was a computer geek and then i just didn't like it I just, sitting behind a computer all day just wasn't uh my my cup of tea i wanted to be out there and and um you know go out there and, and and really i was really interested in the financial markets i was interested in the stock market uh, i went to business school uh, majored in finance and uh, got a hedge fund job so i worked for a, a couple different long short equity funds here in dallas um and then completely switched careers to to, to real estate which i didn't have any real estate background until 2011 2012 um, went to a job interview that my business school provided for working for three publicly traded companies, similar to the Ashford companies that had a uh, same manager, and um, they, they had applied for one of the early licenses uh, to raise funds to the EB-5 program. Uh, the job, the job um, listing was a little bit of bait and switch. It was uh, to be a portfolio manager, and I went on this interview and said, okay, well, what Portfolio? What assets am I managing? They're like, well, we have asset managers. You're going to be managing a portfolio <laughs> <Ish>. of investors. <laughs> so where are these investors? They said we don't know, but we think they're in China. I said okay. So I that was my you know first stint at EB 5 They had you know they they owned about fifteen thousand units of multifamily. They were doing some multifamily development here in Farmers Branch, Texas. Uh, so they had three four projects. They needed financing. They were doing some HUD financing. So I. Got on a plane and went to China. And started knocking on doors and started raising money. I think it took a year of uh, crashing and burning, but I, I, you know, understood the business. And then um, we ended up financing one, I think one, the largest eb 5 project ever in the state of Texas, which was the redevelopment of the Stadler Hilton mm-hmm. and uh, residences in downtown Dallas. Uh, and then you know did several multifamily projects. So that's how that's how I got started uh, in 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 real estate and EB5 by pure coincidence by accident and. Here we are I look at you now. <laughs> <Here we are. laughs> so,
0: what, what's the uh, I guess what's the opportunity? What's the impetus for you to start your own your own company? Right. So that's that's you know a risk. It's exciting. It's you know What what was the opportunity that you see in front of you to start yeah, start you know, companies? Yeah, you know EB five is interesting because this was a
1: very very large industry, um, and you know the, the EB five program was a very little known program that started in 1991. Uh, it was part of the Immigration Act of 1990. Uh, initially i think canada was one of the first countries that had you know canada's got a a much larger country than us but only has 30 million population so they really wanted immigrants to come in and generate economic activity and and provide foreign direct investment for their local community they started this program i think in the 80s uh the u.s copied that program but you know they didn't want this to be uh you know a, a green card for sale program or or even an investment program, it was done under the Immigration Act as an employment visa. Hence, uh, EB 5 stands for Employment Based Fifth Preference. So there's EB 1, EB 2, and each of them, you know, EB 1 obviously has a higher preference. Uh, one is for religious workers, one is for people with extraordinary abilities, all the way down to EB 5. And under the Immigration Act in 1990, 790,000 visas were allocated annually, uh, of which 140,000 were in the employment or family categories. And out of those 140,000 visas, 10,000 every year has been allocated to the EB-5 program. EB-5 program is the only uh, immigration um, program where the, the investor sponsors themselves by virtue of investing a minimum statutory requirement and creating 10 jobs for the U.S. economy for U.S. residents. Um, every other immigration category, either an employer or a family member, has to sponsor the investor. In this case, the investor sponsors themselves, their spouse, and any children that are
0: unmarried under the age of 21. Gotcha. So the, the hotel r- real estate world is a, a very small percentage of the overall real estate world in the United States, but it's a disproportionate amount of EB-5 financings? Why, why is that? Why do hotels fit that structure better than a lot of other property types?
1: It's actually a very, very interesting question. There's several reasons, but the most important reason is that, um, you know, typically in an in a EB-5 project, um, investors have to create jobs. And the way those jobs are actually calculated are two ways. One, you know, direct jobs, W-2 jobs. And two, uh, they're calculated through an economic analysis. And through an economic analysis, uh, you know there are two different uh, 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 computer programs that the government uses for various different jobs uh, programs one is called rims2 the other one's called implan and the way these are these, these calculated jobs are not actually counting actual w2s but they look at uh, census data and they look at economic activity so you know not to get into the geeky economist world <laughs> but uh, but typically uh, in, in a census track uh, a certain dollar for example you spent a million dollars on concrete or hard construction spending that equates to certain direct indirect and induced jobs so a direct job would be you know the actual construction workers working on the job indirect would be you know the you know the uh, person that created the piece of lumber that was shipped to the project site to be you know to, to create a job and then induced is construction workers are for example in in Dallas and they're going to Subway. So Subway is getting incredibly more sales. So they calculate all of that based on census data where there's different, you know, efficiencies. For example, a million dollars in hard construction spending in Dallas is a different jobs number in this census track than for example, a census track in Manhattan. But based on that data, they calculate the jobs. And so one reason hotels are attractive is because hotels are generally more labor intensive. So they create more jobs where a multifamily project may only have you know 20 people work in there and usually support staff and leasing people hotel may have 300 staff right. so you get more direct jobs but the other the other reason which is actually a more important reason a lot of people don't know is that a lot of you know real estate the way that the real estate market which is a very sophisticated institutional market in the united states where you know there's different lenders that you know government lenders for example fannie freddie hud um you know those type of or and the way that capital stacks are are done that's not how real estate gets done in other countries. In another country, you want to build a hundred million dollar project, you have to have hundred million dollars cash. You know, there's not kind of a bank system where you have mezzanine loans and equity and all these different sophisticated markets. Um, and then there's the other reason is that a lot of these other asset classes just don't exist in other countries. So the concept of multifamily, which for those that don't know what multifamily is, is basically an owner that owns an entire building. And then leases out has a leasing office and leases out individual units typically in other countries people lease out apartments but they're condos what that means is is you know if somebody builds a building and sells individual condos and you know a buyer will buy one or more than one and then release those condos so the concept where a, a, an individual investor would own the entire building and lease it out just doesn't exist so right. the concept of multi-family system doesn't, doesn't translate but however hotels are the exact same structure. People love in, hotels in, in every, around the world. Right. People love hotels around the world. They understand that asset class, where well, they don't understand multifamily. You know, office is little is slightly different in other countries, although they understand it. Retail is more complicated. It's harder to understand. But hotel is very similar to hotels in every market. And there's another interesting fact is that people in other you know, people that are less sophisticated or in, from other countries, they don't understand that if a hotel is flagged Hilton, it's actually not owned by Hilton. It's mm-hmm. that's a franchise. But a lot of times, investors, in you know, especially in the early days, you'd be erroneously thought that you have the full faith and credit of Marriott behind a project right. or Hilton. So erroneously, they thought, "Oh, this is a very legitimate project." They don't understand that it may be just you know, ABC developer that has a franchise agreement, you know, with with, with uh, Marriott. So th- those are the main reasons why hotels were uh, were very attractive as EB five investments. But the two main reasons for that is one, that asset class really translates to other countries and to there's a lot of jobs that are uh, created in a hotel. Gotcha. So, All right. So, so I think I, I would say between 2013 to 17, where those were the kind of the, the, the big years of EB-5 fundraising, where each year I think something like $15 billion was raised uh, and brought as foreign direct investment through EB-5. I'd say,
0: you know, somewhere between 35 to 50% of all the deals I got done were in hospitality. Space. That's amazing. What's, um, all right. So a question I've been really wanted to ask you, cause you are one of the, I don't know how many miles you've traveled, <laughs> but you're one of the more well-traveled people that I know. And you've been in a lot of hotels in a lot of places around the world. So a question that I've asked every guest is, um, you have one last trip. You can go anywhere in the world. You don't even have to have stayed there, but you probably have. What's your very favorite hotel? And I will say, the last episode, one of our guest um, was talking about uh, was talking about uh, Dorado Beach. So it can't be Dorado Beach <laughs> in Puerto Rico. But other than that hotel, what is? your favorite hotel in the world. You got to take one last trip. Where do you yeah,
1: I'm not going to mention any of the Ashford hotels because obviously there's a lot of Ashford hotels, the Braymar hotels Hotel, specifically that I get to spend some time in. You know, the, the Ritz-Carlton and, uh, and St. Thomas, you know, the the uh, Beaver Creek uh, Park High. Those are some of my ho- favorite hotels. But I want to focus on some of the EB-5 travels that I've done. Uh, there was a couple of hotels that I really liked staying at. Um, one, I, I traveled to Beijing a lot, and there's a Rosewood in Beijing that was just absolutely gorgeous. Just loved being there. Um, there is a Waldorf, um, that I used to, for whatever reason, I used to always end up in the same room. Room 2008, I never forget it. A Waldorf Astoria that was looking over the bun in Shanghai where you had those, you know, all those colorful light, lighted building. That was always one of my favorites. But just most recently, I've I traveled twice to Korea this year for EB-5. And uh, one of my uh, partners and, you know, people that we do business with recommended this hotel on Tehran Street, which is kind of the main street in, in Seoul where a lot of the embassies and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of business activity gets done. And this hotel was called Josun Palace. It's a Marriott luxury collection. Uh, and I just love this hotel because it was really interesting. Um, I, I used to pick hotels based on if they had laundry service or if they mm. could, you know, shine your shoes and, you know, steam your shirts because I travel a lot of different cities. I want to make sure I have nice pressed shirts and this hotel and i found out later on that the samsung family actually owns this hotel but when you go to this hotel beautifully just beautiful hotel you know high-rise and right in the middle of the, some of the best location in seoul but there was a lot of samsung equipment in the hotel and then later on i found out why uh so there was a you know something like close to pure that we have you know uh, uh, one of the um filtered um you know takes all the high power that, yeah that, that's samsung but. The thing that I absolutely fell in love with, that was, I opened one of the drawers and in fact, I, I messaged Sloan and, and Monty, there was, I sent them a video of this. It looked like there was a refrigerator, like a tall refrigerator in one of my drawers and I opened it and it said Samsung and I didn't know what it was. I opened it and it was a, it was a steaming machine. And like, a, I, like a steam closet? Yeah, it's a steam closet. So you take three or four of your shirts and you hang them or your, or your suit and you put in there and you press, you know, whichever setting. 30 minutes later, your suit and your shirt is brand spanking you. Oh, wow, I haven't <laughs> seen those before. Yeah, and, and funny enough, they actually sell them on Amazon. It's a Samsung product just doesn't exist in the United States. So I absolutely fell in love with this hotel. When I go to Seoul, I usually stay at this hotel because I know my, my, my suits are going to be very nice, <laughs> nicely pressed. and I don't have to wait on, you know, I've had some nightmare scenarios and especially in Miami, you know, charging me a hundred dollars to steam my suit and takes 48 hours to get it back. This, you control your own destiny. You steam your suit and ready to go. Well,
0: that's great. Okay. All right. All right. Coming into the last part of the last question. So, uh, you obviously talked a lot about about the great things going on in, in this company you're now started, in the EV5 world. Take us outside of that. When when you're not um, doing your work, do you have a, a, a passion? Is there something that you do outside of the office of either how you blow off steam or something that you spend time with? What's kind of your out of work?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, two
0: things that, you know,
1: I, I get, I, I'm, I'm getting older, so after 40, it's tough to I used to play a lot of basketball, and I used to love playing basketball. And I get up every morning still do my four mile walk and go shoot baskets, but I don't play anymore just because you get one little injury and, and you know <laughs> you're you're, at, you're out of commission. But the two things that I still competitively and you know, that's how I get my competitive juices flowing is one golf and then two poker. You know, and I haven't played much of poker. You know, being in New York and not being close to to friends that that I play cards with, but being back in Dallas, it's fun. To to kind of get get you know go watch a baseball game and and, and play poker at the same
0: time and get good training for uh, negotiations on uh, I, I with have, <laughs> with markers and absolutely. lenders
1: it's you know it's it's all about uh, you know reading people and uh, it, those those skills come in very
0: handy in, in business negotiations that's great well perfect well I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today absolutely and, uh, thank you everybody for joining us for the ninth episode of Hotels One and One. And we look forward to talking to you all over the next month. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rob. You got it. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Go Rangers. Go Rangers.